welcome to the Rotating Reels. My name is Keegan Tran. I'm one of the co-hosts, and with me I have my other co-hosts calling in from Kauai, Hawaii, Taylor May. Hey, what's up? And calling in from Seattle, Washington, we have Hank Showalter. Hey, hey, hey. High energy as always. So today we have a mainline review or one of our A-weeks. We're going to be reviewing a new movie from Netflix, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Quickly read the IMDb blurb for you really quickly. Uh, a quirky, dysfunctional family's road trip is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. Before we get into the main review of the movie, we have a couple other orders of business. Firstly, we have a Patreon, and we have been getting a little bit of traction over there. We have a couple people coming in, joining who have become patrons, listening to the three phenomenal episodes that we have over there, with many more to come, and we're very grateful for that. If you want to become a patron, just go to rotatingreels.com. It'll reroute you to our Patreon, where you can become a member at the very low rate of $5 a month. Do you know how much quality you get for $5 per dollar, significantly better than any other streaming service? Come check us out. Obviously, you get access to all these mainline episodes for free. But you get some really fun stuff. We've done a review of uh, a Korean thriller. We did our favorite uh, movies of the year. We did kind of a, a, our own like Oscars. And we also did a ranking of our favorite versus movies in honor of Godzilla versus Kong with, again, many more to come. We're going to be doing a large scale battle of the Star Wars movies where uh, I convinced these guys that the Star Wars prequels are not very good movies. And we will also be doing a long rant about the Yakuza games and about different streaming services. So join us over there. Again, another order of business before we get into that, we have what we've been watching. So again, we are a slave to the people that listen, and we've gotten plenty of feedback, and we have plenty of analytics to prove that we do run a little bit long, and we don't have people that listen all the way through our episodes. So we're going to have a slight format change this week that we're hoping to keep throughout many of our episodes and that will be to truncate our what we've been watching to be a little bit on the shorter end. So with that, I will pass it first to Hank to talk about the things that he watched this week. All right. So going to sprint through this. Uh, just just going to say it. The past couple weeks, I have missed a couple things in my what I've been watching. So I'm going to do my best to get them in now. So I'm going to have a couple shows that may not have been watched this past week, but were watched in the past two. Um, so with that, I've been watching a lot of TV recently. I've talked a whole lot in the past about Psyche K, the disastrous life of Psyche K. Um, it's a fantastic anime. Uh, I won't harp on it too much more right now because I think you've heard everything I'm going to say about it. It's heart heartwarming. It's wholesome. If you like anime, go watch it. If you don't like anime, you know, maybe still watch it. I don't know. <laughs> you might still like it. Um, besides that, uh, one show I've been watching is called Alone. I'm watching it on Hulu. It is a uh, like a survival competition docu-series wherein uh, I believe 10 contestants per season are put out in the wilderness on their own, isolated from each other with just the contents of one bag to survive with, and whoever survives the longest wins $500,000. 
Um, it's a pretty interesting series. Um, it's it's a little bit different from a lot of these uh, survival shows like uh, Survivor. You know, Survivor has a very hard, uh, hard time limit on it. You only have to survive for 40 days. Um, you know, Survivor Man, something like that. It's just one guy who's a trained professional and he knows exactly kind of what he's doing going in. Um, like, you know, shows like Naked and Afraid, you have company. In this show, everyone's all alone. And uh, it's actually really amazing as a viewer how quickly survival becomes not the challenge, but just dealing with yourself becomes the challenge. Most of the people I see go home are not going home because of, you know, survival or medical reasons. They're going home because, like, they just have to deal with, like, being completely on their own every day for months on end and it drives these people crazy the show spends a lot of time just lingering on people in these situations and uh honestly sometimes it can be like kind of hard to watch there are people like you know like basically crying for their moms you know because they're oh like sitting goodness. alone in a shelter there are people who just like zip themselves up in a sleeping bag and just lay there except when they need calories so anyway pretty interesting um also watching uh, Bob's Burgers. There's a new episode that finally came out after a few weeks hiatus. It's pretty damn good. Go watch Bob's Burgers. If you like regular size Rudy, it's a good episode for you. <laughs> um, it's got dangerous children's toys and Rudy. Uh, this week I also finished up Into the Storm, which we've talked about in a couple previous weeks, so I won't harp on it too much. But uh, the ending is golden. I won't say too much, but uh, they do identify who Q is. Won't tell you who it is, but there's a great moment where they have him on camera and he realizes he's been caught and they kind of like cut to him smiling and they just give you this little ding. And uh, I, I, I just, I could watch that a million times in a row. I'm, I'm going past my three minutes, but uh, you know, I'm probably going to fade myself out. Also started watching Adventure Time. It's a uh, cartoon network series. It's uh, kind of psychedelic. Um, and it's interesting. The episodes are really short. Honestly, it's a little bit too much of like lol so random humor for me on in some occasions. Uh, you know, like there's like a little bit, uh, you know, it's clearly made for children, but still very entertaining. Like the art style, like the, uh, the scenarios they write into it. And then a new series I've started watching that I wish I had saved more time for is Hulu's Monsterland which is a horror anthology series, one hour long episodes, and each episode is an adaptation of a story from one of my favorite all-time horror collections, uh, North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballywood. Uh, this series, very dark, uh, they don't really shy away from some darker topics, and there's not a lot of comic relief, but definitely worth watching if you're into horror. Um, I would recommend it based on the two episodes I've seen so far. With that, that's what I've been watching. End fade out. <laughs> hey, I'm actually surprised that you just now started the show because many, many years ago, or many decades ago, like it feels, uh, we used to work together in the same office, and you showed me the trailer for this show, told me that it was by an author you liked, and recommended that I watch it. And now I know that was a completely <laughs> blind recommendation. Well, I recommended it based purely on the written material, which I will defend to my last breath. It is an excellent horror exploration of American masculinity, but I didn't watch the series until now because it's really dark, and honestly, sometimes it is difficult to, to recommend someone watch something so dark. <laughs> now um, I know to stagger all my Hank yeah. recommendations. Cool. With that. All right, Taylor. That's my week. What have you been watching this week? This is my lightest week so far, so three minutes is no problem for me. Um, we watched uh, Love, Death, and Robots, which you guys recommended. Really interesting series on Netflix. It's these real short episodes that are, you know, 
five to 10, maybe 15 minutes long at most. And it's all animation and they're from different animation studios. And the whole thing is kind of an homage to heavy metal, which was this really influential animated film that is, you know, it's a bunch, it's a basically a bunch of nerds gone wild. So there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of gore, nudity, all kinds of stuff. And so these little shorts are kind of hearkening back to that. And they're, the animation style is very widely. So some of these episodes weren't that interested in, some of them were real, real good, real incredible. Some of, there's one, I forget the name, Beyond the Aqua Rift, that's what it's called. The animation in there was crazy. There were scenes where I wasn't sure if it was animation or, you know, just regular actors. Um, so would recommend that. Um, but the reason I got into that is because you guys said, oh, people talk about Black Mirror, and I say, well, you got to watch uh, Love, Death, and Robots, man. That's like the real, that's like the real thing. And I went back and watched Black Mirror because I, I wanted to compare the two, and I hadn't watched Black Mirror since it came out. I like Black Mirror way better. I like the topics. I like the longer time frame. I'm not a huge animation guy, so it's fun to watch these little, like, five minutes, ten minutes. That's a very digestible amount of animation for me, but I like the longer format. So we watched uh, the first, I think, the first season or so of Black Mirror and, uh, and, and enjoyed it a lot more, I'm sorry to say, boys. Um, but that's it. That's all I've been watching with over a minute to spare. How do you like that? Wow. <clears throat> yeah, so all I'll say is someone, as someone who's seen both series, um, Black Mirror, I think there's no question the production quality is higher. The writing is a bit more consistent in it. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's made by more consistent teams of people. But uh, Black Mirror got boring for me, and Love, Death, and Robots at least kept me interested. So, uh Fuck your opinion. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well, the second uh, installations was like second season, I guess, of Love, Death, and Robots comes out later, like in a couple days, actually. So Five maybe we'll days. see. Yeah, maybe maybe the, the second volume, they learn from the mistakes of the first volume. The first one, though, man, it was just like, again, it was a bunch of, it seems like a bunch of nerds gone wild, right? There's just boobs all over the place, nonstop, for seemingly no reason at all sometimes. So. I will say, I, I think this is important for listeners to remember when we have our inevitable Star Wars talk, where I talk about how the sequels are better than the prequels. I think the prequels are just, you know, they're movies that people want, you know, people that want stuff spoon-fed to them. And I think the audience that likes Black Mirror over Love, Death, and Robots is, it's a simpler group. Uh, it, it's people that don't like to think about their the things they watch. You know, it's just, it's very simple and easy to digest, right? You can understand it on first watch. It's very, like you know, non-nuanced crowd. So I don't, you know, forget you for that at all, but uh, I think it's just important to call out. <laughs> Hank, can you just cut that out? Can you, the recording just not include what you just said? Yeah, we're, you know, we'll address that shit in a, in a later episode or a Patreon <laughs> episode. Just know that uh, it is everything I have right now to not start a firefight on camera. So. <laughs> cool. So pretty light, pretty light. All right, so I will pass it to me. I think I had a pretty, I'd say a moderate week. I kicked it off with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which is, uh, it's pretty dumb, but it's pretty fun. Uh, I think you know exactly what you're getting into with this title when you hear literally the title. You know everything that's going to be there, and it doesn't disappoint. So pretty big action scenes that uh, I was surprised by. Like, there's a scene where they're fighting on different, like, uh, 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 stampeding horses, and it's really visually cool. Like, I think there's some some fun stuff that gets brought up here. It's dumb, whatever. Uh, it, it's fun to watch, and I would definitely recommend people check it out if you want some, like, schlocky horror. Um, 
I watched 22 versus Earth, which is a short film that is a follow-up to Soul. That's on Disney Plus. I think it's about a 10 to 15 minute short. Very cute, uh, very in line with Soul. So if you like Soul, this is like definitely required viewing. I think I'm pretty okay on Soul as far as Pixar goes. It's it's not one of my favorites and it's not super high up there. But if you have Disney Plus, this is essentially for you to check out. I also watched the original Saw movie, something that I had never seen. And you've never seen Saw. I had never seen Leon L. And what's what's the other guy? What's the director's name? They're they're kind of famous for Paranormal Activity. Yeah, um, I don't know. Wong. I can't remember. Uh, something. Oh, oh James. Wong. James Wong and Lee L. Right? They're kind of a big pair. So I'd never seen Saw before, and I remember again, like a million years ago, we we all used to work in the same office. I had watched Hostel for the first time, um, Eli Roth's movie. But to be honest, I think. Hostel holds up a little bit better with modern eyes. I don't think Saw's bad at all, but man, the franchise that this would later become just like loud and very expensive and actually very violent, this first movie is very different. It's a very cheaply made B-movie. Uh, most of the violence happens off screen with an exception of, spoiler, someone cutting their leg off in the finale. But overall, man, this is... Everything happens off screen. It's all implied violence. So it's actually like a hard PG-13 in my opinion. Didn't really scare me too Hmm. bad. Uh, I think it was fun. I would recommend it. I haven't watched any of the others. I plan to kind of slowly make my way through the series. But I'm glad I checked out this kind of piece of of horror history. It's got the man in black from The Princess Bride in the leading role. And he looks great for his age. Uh, Quickly with my time, I also watched The Hills Have Eyes 2. I was in a schlocky horror movie. Mood, this is really bad. Uh, this is the one I will not recommend you watch. This is The Hills Have Eyes 2 from 2007, which has uh, just pure direct-to-DVD vibes. It's There's entire scenes that are clearly pickups done entirely in front of a green screen. And uh, bad acting, bad everything, really scary sexual violence in a way that doesn't pay off to the plot at all. So I, uh, I turned away from most of this movie and kind of played it in the background. The last thing, I know I'm running short on my three minutes, uh, I watched Amazon's Invincible. I'm three episodes into this. This is, uh, if HBO has Watchmen, uh, Amazon has Invincible. Purely animated, really, really fun show, and I will do a longer explanation on this when uh, I finish the eighth episode. But this is something I think we should check out. It's starring Stephen Yen and J.K. Simmons and Sandra Oh in the lead voice acting roles. How could you say no to that, even without hearing about the premise, guys? Yeah, don't go too far into it. I want to watch it. Um, I didn't realize J.K. Simmons was in it. I knew about Stephen Yen. Um, yeah, really. There's, I mean, and I will also, the last thing I'll say on Numb over time, but there's a really, really good soundtrack underlying all of this. Really fun. Uh, I'm kind of a, a normie when it comes to music. So to me, this seems like indie music. Maybe when Hank listens, he'll think this is just pure normcore and roast me. But I think there's really fun music going on throughout the whole, all of the fight scenes. Nice. I guess with that, uh, I think that kind of wraps are what we've been watching and moves us into our main review. Gentlemen, do we have anything I mean, else? I, yeah, I just want to say, you know, congrats to the host for keeping that one so short. Little, little uh, uh, poetry slams Ooh. snaps for that one. Yeah. I feel like I ran a mile a minute. My heart's racing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now take us away. All right, gentlemen. So our main review this week again i already read the imdb blur this is the mitchells versus the machines just a little bit of background on this movie 
It was made by Sony Animation Pictures, who have been having a resurgence lately. Some things you've probably seen by them are all of the Lego movies. I think there's Lego Batman. There's a couple different iterations, wildly popular. Those are directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Um, those two have signed a, a contract with Sony Animation Pictures to produce a lot of their movies. Another thing that really blew up was um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which those two, I don't know if they produced or directed, but it was also wildly popular as well. Sony Animation Studios is getting so big that it's been reported that they're actually poaching a lot of Pixar and Disney animators that are moving over there and are getting contracts to actually get their first time directing. So with that, non-spoilers ahead. Uh, I have very, very intense thoughts about this, but I'm curious what the others think. Uh, I think... Hank, you kicked us off for what we were watching. Taylor, what did you think about this movie at a very, very base, non-spoiler level? It, it It's good. It's weird. It's it's weird in a good way. So they, they do a lot of weird visuals. So it's all animated, right? But you have, like, the animated world that the characters are in that seems to basically be, like, our world. But our main character is, is this girl, a teenage girl, going off to college. And there's insert sort of like a pop art feel to the movie where, you know, a character will land or she'll hit her head and there'll be little like bubbles around her head that say like ouch or something. So it's like, they're kind of adding her personality into what you're visually seeing with this. Again, pop art seems like this collage effect. And that was really, really interesting. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, so I, I liked that aspect of it. Um, but in the blurb, they say that this, you know, I figure it's like a dysfunctional family or something. And boy, is that true? Because I didn't care. I didn't like any of these characters, really. The main <gasps> dynamics between the daughter and the father. And I just didn't, it didn't do anything for me. So we'll, we'll talk more about it. But it's hard when the main characters are, are not that, that compelling. That was, that was a little, little rough for me. So I'd recommend it for kids. But like you're, you know, you're an, you're an adult and you're thinking about watching it. I, I think you could probably skip it. <gasps> oh my goodness. I'm so offended. Hank, why don't you <laughs> kick us off before I start ranting? Yeah. So, so Keegan's going to rant at me too. I'm fully prepared for that. Um, but I have to say, I, I think my take is a little bit warmer than Taylor's, but maybe for different reasons. Um, that, that was my, like, YouTube voice for that. And I'm going to get into it. Um, you see, the thing about this movie was, uh, like Taylor said, the visual style, super unique. I haven't really seen anything like it in cinema before. Like, I haven't seen movies. I would say maybe the closest thing that I have to it is it's kind of like an animated version of Scott Pilgrim versus the world with yeah. some of like the 2D overlay yep. stuff. But it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same. So this movie's visual style, um, for a lot of the movie, is a very kind of like standard Disney Pixar looking thing with like some filters over it. Like there's kind of like some like interplay between the foreground and the background. The background looks a bit more 2D and the foreground looks a bit more 3D. But then they have an overlay on top of all of that that is just incredibly memey. It looks like um, like the little like GIF memes that you can like drag onto your Snapchats if you've ever used Snapchat. Um, and then also in some scenes of the movie, they'll actually like overlay cutouts from like viral videos. One that recurs is a screaming monkey. 
so overall like the movie's animation style is like fairly traditional and then they incorporate this kind of meme overlay into it and i didn't have a problem with it as such but i didn't really get why they were adding in like the meme overlay because to me it wasn't really part of the main character the narrator's personality that she was super meme but they kept on including all of these kind of like meme side gags that uh like the screaming monkey is a good example they would include it and it wouldn't really have anything to do with the story it was just like a good excuse to have this cutaway where you're like swapping between a character and a popular viral video Mm -hmm. um and to me that was like a little bit confusing it felt like they were speaking to a different audience than i'm a part of like it felt like you know they're going for an audience that like wants to watch these like short like really funny videos and i was already interested in the plot before they started doing the short really funny video and so like while it's not not funny to do that i didn't understand why it was happening it kind of broke up the traditional like plot structure of the movie with these kind of like little cutaway gags and i didn't really understand why but i it it sounds like i'm being very critical of this i actually don't think it's a fault of the movie i think it's something the movie's doing very well but for a younger audience that's incredibly used to this sort of uh, kind of visual display. Like, I feel if you're part of, like, the TikTok generation, which I'm not. I don't have the TikTok app. I've only ever seen a TikTok through Reddit. But I feel like if you're part of, like, the TikTok generation, this is, like, a style of kind of storytelling in the middle of a standard Disney, like, Pixar-type movie that you're going to be very familiar with. Um, but for someone that's not a part of like the TikTok generation, it's it's uh, it's not bad. It's just a little bit jarring at moments. Um, and and it, it, I, I feel bad saying that because it's actually really well pulled off. Like I think the animation is really really good. These moments where they kind of break out of it for these little like TikTok moments is really seamless. But it's not something that I feel like any particular fondness for. And so the styles didn't really land for me. That said, I actually think the jokes throughout the movie are really funny. I think the voice acting talent is really good. I think the animation displays a great level of talent. I was mentioning before there's kind of this interplay of the background and foreground where the foreground is clearly 3D animated and the background is kind of like a little bit more of like a flat 2D look even though it is also 3D. Like I think it was really good from a technical level there were a lot of scenes that looked like tech demos of like really cool simulations of like glass breaking or liquid spilling and it looked really great there was nothing about the movie that looked bad there were just parts of the movie that didn't really land for me and i didn't feel like it was because of anything the creators had done wrong i just felt like they were targeting a specific audience that that stuff would land for and i'm not a part of it it's a, it, you said this in our in our little group chat, Hank. This is like a real Gen Z movie. And if you, I guess, I think if you're not in Gen Z, or may, I guess if you're like a pretender, like you want to be in Gen Z, but you're not really like Keegan, it'll work. That, but yeah, if otherwise, that was dig at me. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise, it's just like like everybody, I guess, has seen that monkey video. I'd never seen it before, so I was like, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a gibbon screaming, and everybody's, I guess, losing their minds about how funny the video is, and fair enough. I just, it didn't it didn't have yeah. the effect on me. So seeing it six times, I was like, okay, okay, I got it. 
Yeah, so, and anyway, the, the thing is, like, I'm on the Gen Z millennial cutoff for our viewers that don't know me. Like, I, I, I have every right to claim myself as a Gen Zer. I just, like, th some of the things being kind of, like, visually referenced through the movie and explicitly referenced throughout the movie, like, I was kind of peripherally aware of them, but not particularly fond of them. Um, not that I hated them, but it just, it wasn't something that... I was like, yeah, this needs to be incorporated into my mainstream movie. So, yeah, yeah. Overall, though, I think the movie was incredibly skillfully pulled off. I, I, I probably wouldn't change anything about it, uh, given like what their vision was. I just really don't think that I was like the target audience. Fair enough. Fair enough. I uh, this is this is quite surprising to me. I Hank, I am a little bit older than you. Taylor, I'm a, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I would consider myself very much in the millennial generation, and I think I've never heard a more millennial statement than I don't know anything about TikTok than seeing them on Reddit, which is the <laughs> most mid-late 20s statement that I've ever heard. Uh, and I guess I, uh, again, usually whenever I host these things, I always start off by saying gentlemen, and I just, I can't bring myself to say it this week because I just have no other thing to call you guys than petulant little boys. Again, I am. I, I, I would say I'm probably the most prone to hyperbole of the three co-hosts. And, you know, without dipping my toe into that, this is my favorite movie we've ever watched for the podcast. I have watched this three serious? times now. I genuinely love this movie, guys. I, even over Citizen Kane, right? I think this is the kind of movie that pushes family animation and animated movies in general along. This is pure pure innovation right like we look at you know we have 20 years to look back at ghibli movies and say look at this is how they advanced you know eastern animation and, and they influence anime in all ways to come sony animation pictures between this and spider-man into the spider-verse which we're not reviewing but to talk about this on its own merits the way that they compiled different animation qualities and you know humor aside but the way that they they animate this movie is so so forward thinking it's so visually stunning to watch i think you can have your gripes with the storyline and there's you know character writing and things like that that might become like a hindrance to your enjoyment and certain things like being too meme -y, i could totally see uh but i don't even really consider myself to be that of the tiktok generation i always joke that the movie theater that i've been going to since we've moved to portland Whenever I leave the theater, there's a really nice sushi restaurant out front that is seemingly very popular with teenagers. And every time I finish seeing a movie, I get very intimidated because there's always a lot of really cool looking teenagers that are making TikToks <laughs> outside of it. And I always kind of put my head down and walk back to my car like a like an embarrassed old man. So I don't I don't really identify much with these young people. So I guess these these accusations of the movie being, you know, maybe a little too meme. -y, I guess I, I just don't really connect with it. I think these are if you're even on Reddit or if you're on like Instagram in general, I think these are the kind of jokes that you would see across different platforms. I think they're not so young skewed that it ruins the enjoyment of a, you know, for us, we're still relatively young, but of a slightly older generation that I think you guys think this is targeted at. Again, I think I typically tend to like family animation movies more than my other two co-hosts. But man, I love this movie i just i couldn't stop crying throughout and i think maybe i'm a little bit of a sucker for these family stories of families coming together right like raya when she saves her dad or you know waves as a more extreme example i really am a sucker for these for these family dramas 
but watching these two come closer and kind of solve their issues in a way that's both of them realizing that they're different, but they have this shared cohesion of being a family and having a lot of beautiful shared memories really, really struck a chord with me. And I don't know, I just couldn't help but spend the whole third arc just sobbing and just dabbing my eyes. And even on rewatch, I was getting choked up and just being really, really emotionally impacted by this movie. Last thing I will say, I heard a really, really funny review by one of my favorite critics, David Chen, where he said, Sony Pictures <laughs> came to the group and they were like, hey, you know, the production studio, do you guys want to be live action? Do you guys want to make a 3D animated movie, a 3D stop motion movie? Do you want to make a movie that looks like Pixar? Do you want to ma make a movie that looks like pure 2D animation? And the group that made this movie said, yes. <laughs> They want to look like all those things because they really expertly weave all these different kinds of animation throughout. I don't think it's really jarring when they jump to, to 3D at all or when they do live action stuff. Like the, the jump to the gibbon is, is pretty funny in my opinion. I don't think it's the funniest joke at all. But I think uh, in a movie that's 300 jokes per minute, I think there's definitely going to be some misses. And I think there's some really funny commentaries on technology. One of the ones that I think is really funny is when the Wi-Fi goes down, there's a guy that jumps through a window with an unopened box and he jumps on a diner table and says, can you open this in front of me? To the woman that was enjoying her lunch, which I think is just, it's <laughs> such a good, like, right, movies take so long and usually the jokes are really outdated or the memes are really old, but that's such like an up-to-date joke, right? I think that that's so prescient to the kind of way that people are connected with their technology. So I've gone on long enough. I absolutely adore this movie through and through. I will probably watch it again this weekend uh, in the background because I just enjoyed it so much. But I think if you have Netflix, man, you cannot go wrong if you're looking for something that's animated. Wow. Yeah, we have very different opinions on this. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I feel kind of crazy here because, like, the animation I thought was really skillfully pulled off. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah. I felt like the jokes that they were telling, regardless of the animation, were the funniest or were like the best part of the movie. I thought they had some really good jokes, like some of Eric Andre's bit in the, bits in the movie. Fantastic. But what what I felt like was the failing was kind of integrating all of the different like visual styles they were doing to no real like particular targeted effect so i'm just like really interested that you were so in love with it i don't think you know i i think it's it's you know, totally a difference of opinion i don't yeah. think you're wrong by any means but i'm just kind of fascinated that this is like kind of where we're splitting the difference because taylor had problems with the plot yeah so i'm now i'm like what's yeah. going yeah. on <laughs> we're, we're a three-way split i don't know if this has ever happened yeah, I, I we we can talk about the plot in the spoiler section, right? But the <laughs> the the animation stuff, the 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 meme stuff, it was it was interesting because it was it was unique, but it wasn't funny to me. Like like those, and then we, 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 this is it becomes part of the plot, right? Because you get you get the last third of the movie, that's the final act, and the plot and the action and everything also becomes a joke right like it's purely we're just doing this because we have these characters we're supposed to like and they're gonna win because that's what has to happen and so we're gonna just gonna just get rid of every kind of factual problem they could be encountering and just make everything work for them and then as they're fighting we get them doing sing-alongs and music and stuff so it felt like the plot became like a meme 
at the end. And that, and so that's where, like, I think they're a little bit joined and we can talk more about it. But mm-hmm. I, I just, the, the meme stuff didn't land for me at all. That like none so of the meme jokes were funny. I think, and I guess if I had to make a defense of it, I think, and we can get into this probably more spoilers like we've been saying, but I think so much of the memeage is kind of this retrospective in my mind, right? Like with a lot of other movies, we talk about unreliable narrators. Like this is a lot of this is like we have a young girl who's interested in film. She's going to go to to L.A. to to make movies. And we've seen many, many movies that she's made and they have these kind of meme effects. So I guess in my mind, I always kind of contextualized it as like this is all in our main character's head or like this is a retelling of it or this is her version of the events that happened maybe it's not entirely true but it it has that kind Mm of visual flair that she puts on every story like we see her making these these detective movies with her dog and they have all these fun meme things in them so like if she were to make the retelling of her family saving the entire world this is the way that it would look in her kind of fun low budget bedroom movie version that could have worked if they had if they had referenced stuff like that more. If they yeah. had if they had worked that in, then it would have worked a lot more for me. Yeah, I, I I'll go so far as to say that I might even rewatch the movie kind of with that framework in mind because like you know I got that she was the narrator and I got that she had kind of like her maybe it was just that I didn't really like the main character of the movie that much. Um, yeah. That could be a big part of it because like honestly watching her, she was like, oh no, I didn't get to spend like an extra week at film school following my dreams, and you know like I'm like an artist that went to school and got a math degree, you know, like not that there's any problem with that, but I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, like, you know, like you didn't get to spend one week with people that totally understand you. Like that's, that's something that a lot of people in the world can't even fathom. Um, So, you know, there's some of the problems that he's describing the movie that is kind of like, eh, but uh, you know, I, I do feel like maybe it warrants a rewatch kind of like, putting myself in her shoes a little bit more than I did. Cause I will admit that like while watching it, I did have that kind of mind space of being like, Oh, are these really problems? Oh my goodness. Yeah. You are so old. Do you guys have anything? I, I really want to throw it into spoilers. Cause I, I kind of want to follow up on that thread. So I guess before we throw it into the spoiler section, do you guys have any last minute thoughts? No, I want to talk about the, the main character too. Yeah. I, I, I guess my last minute thought I'll, I'll keep it short is I think the animation is really, really well done. Everything about it is super skillful. From a technical perspective, incredibly impressive. Some of the things that they simulated here, liquids, breaking objects, stuff like that, really, really cool. I don't think there's any argument that there wasn't a lot of skill behind it. I just personally don't really understand how it was applied. Um, and I, yeah. again, I think that that's more of a, like a statement about me as a viewer than it is about the people that made this movie because it's clear that there is an audience that really loves everything they did and so mm-hmm. i think that in itself really kind of validates this movie and it's right to exist and it's right to be made um so even though i've been critical of some parts <laughs> of the movie like i don't think it's at all indicative of the quality of the movie i think it's more indicative of like if you're a cynical ass horror fan like me, this old man <laughs> in a 25 year old's body, this might not quite land for you. And if that's yeah. the worst thing I have to say, I think that you know that should give you an idea that it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, I just don't get it, and that's my last. Piece. Yeah, I don't. I'm think... not, the la- oh, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I'm not. I'm not. I try not to be prone to making predictions, but I would bet that this movie in like 20 years is going to be a relic to 
remember when everything went through that weird meta phase where we had to everything had to be a commentary on itself this movie can be held up as like a picture of that like it's filmmakers making a movie about a young filmmaker who's into memes and then the movie itself has memes and what you're seeing like the whole movie is a commentary on itself so if you're interested in like filmmaking or in that like whole meta experiment we're doing right now then it's interesting or if you're a kid and you care about all these memes but otherwise like i i think like my parents they would have no clue what's going on with this movie they wouldn't understand at all what was happening interesting all right i think i'll send this to the spoilers i have a couple things i want to follow up on but if you haven't watched the movie and you're interested in watching it this is the time to tune out unless you're okay with spoilers then proceed listening all right, so we are now in the spoiler section. There's a couple things I wanted to follow up with. There's been a really good comparison with Spock, Scott, Spock, Spock Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim versus the world and how it's, you know, kind of from the portrayal of like a, a more edgy teen, oh, excuse me, or like a younger person. And I think that the kind of claim that this movie would be really difficult to watch by your grandparents is completely true. I, there was even some jokes where I feel like I did not completely understand what was going on, but... I love Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I would actually be willing to say it's one of my top 25 movies of all time. But at the time that came out, if you show that to my grandparents, they would have no idea what was going on. And I think that's a movie that uses pop culture in a very similar way, albeit something that spoke to us when we were at that age, right? There's a lot of 8-bit, there's a lot of manic pixie uh, dream girl uh, motifs. There's a lot of, I'm, you know, this kind of scrappy guy who plays bass in a local band in Canada. A lot of like similar things and, and visual motifs as well that are equally as unapproachable to an older audience. But I think this might just be hitting you guys at the wrong age. So I'd be curious what you guys' thoughts on that are. Maybe if you guys were a little bit younger or a little bit more of an internet presence, do you think this would have uh, been more, I guess, effective for you? Hank, as, as the bass player, you first. go first, and me as the manic pixie dream girl, I'll go second. Yeah, so first of all, um, I actually have to admit, I've not seen Scott Pilgrim in its entire... Are you I've... kidding? No, let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> I have read Scott Pilgrim in its entirety. It's based on a graphic novel. I've read it in its entirety multiple times. I've also seen parts of the film. The reason I've seen parts of the film is because I watched it with my parents who were not able to complete the film because they had no idea what was happening. Um, and then also uh, I saw part of the movie while I was getting a tattoo. I started getting my tattoo. My artist was watching the movie. Um, and so I came in and it was just playing. And I was like, okay, I get to see like the third act. Um, so anyway, I, so I've seen like the beginning and the end of the movie is what I'm saying. Um, okay. So I can't comment too extensively on the film. Uh, one thing I will say about the film is Scott Pilgrim plays a Rickenbacker four-string bass guitar. I own a Rickenbacker four-string bass guitar. It is my favorite thing in the world. Um, if you ever watch that movie and you're seeing Scott with his Rickenbacker, just think of Hank with his Rickenbacker. It'll bring a little <laughs> little warmth to your heart. That's why um, you couldn't finish it. It was too close to home, man. Yeah, but uh, actually, though, I did inherit that bass from my dad. So I was like, Dad, you should be seeing this and like want to watch every scene of the movie. Maybe they just didn't show the bass enough. Um, but anyway, on to the comment about this movie, like maybe I'm just the wrong age. I really have, like, I think that might be the case because 
even though I am kind of like in the age bracket that I think this movie is directed to, I have a kind of like somewhat limited view of like current like youth internet culture. Like when I, I say I've seen these TikToks on Reddit and like when I say that, I mean, I see, I've seen them over my girlfriend's shoulder on Reddit and like very occasionally on my own feed, but I have like a very curated Reddit feed. I don't, I don't browse news or popular. I have like a list of subreddits that I look at. They include <laughs> things like old school role playing, bass guitar, guitar porn, um, the Donald, so, not the Donald, never the Donald. But, I so said anyway, McDonald's. It's like the McDonald's subreddit. In the night. Yeah, no, that sounds more in my wheelhouse. But anyway, so like I'm, I'm just not really that exposed to like very memey spaces uh with some exceptions like i see some of like the depression memes because you know i'm from that generation um but you know it's not the sort of stuff that's being shown off in these children's movies so like because of that like i'm a little bit secluded from that but my girlfriend didn't watch this one with me i'm kind of curious to see like if she will watch it with me in the future and if she'll get it because she has two younger siblings that she's pretty close with compared to me and my younger sibling um and i've actually lived with both her younger siblings for for some time um and i like the whole time i was watching this i was like i don't totally get it but i kind of wonder what Haley's little brother and little sister like would have made of this movie um because as far as i know they both kind of enjoy movies in this vein um and I know for a fact they both follow like modern youth memes. And even though I'm kind of like pretty similarly aged to them, like I've said, I've kind of secluded myself from some of that. And so I'm really curious to see what someone that is not secluded themselves in such a way thinks of it. Because the whole time I was watching it, that was the question in my mind. It was just like, would Haley's little little sister get this? Like should I should I be bringing an interpreter with me for the viewing of this film? <laughs> a youth interpreter. <laughs> youth. <sighs> and when I thought that, I felt compelled to text both Keegan and Taylor and be like, "Man, this is the first time I felt like an old man. I really don't feel like this should be hitting me. I'm, you know, 24 going on 25. What is happening?" And as the oldest person here, I said, "It just gets worse, man. The older you get, it gets worse." <laughs> so for the Scott Pilgrim comparison, I got every reference in Scott Pilgrim, right? I got every single little thing. I thought it was stupid. I thought the like, oh. you know, we're gonna we're gonna put a video game overlay on the thing. I thought it was interesting for sure. Like the filmmaking stuff involved, very interesting. I just I just thought it I just thought it was it was just nonsense. I thought it was nonsense. And in, in this movie I was like, you know what? If this is what kids this is this is how kids see stuff now and this fragmented overlay of every type of media with a, everything being a commentary on itself. Like if that's what these kids with the holes in their brain want today, then that's, that's <laughs> fine. But I have, I have, I deleted my Facebook in 2010, man. I have been so over social media for so long. I was like, this is no good. This is not doing anything good for anybody. We need to get rid of this stuff. So I've purposely secluded myself from all that. I don't go on Reddit, I, nothing, man. So I, I fully understand that I, that's why most of these meme jokes weren't going to hit for me. Um, and that's why I said, you know, for a younger audience, this would work. But my main criticism about the movie, because I'm putting that aside, I'm saying, I admit, I don't know anything about these memes, so the jokes wouldn't be funny for me. But the plot stuff and the characterization, that's what I really disagreed with because I felt like I know I have enough context to understand these characters and 
that was where. So I don't know if I, we want to move away from the memeiness, but yeah. that was just me saying I, I admit that I'm totally ignorant about these memes and, and the intended humor of them. I guess the last thing on that, do you want to talk about, so you don't have social media. Also, I think, you know, a decently well-off guy, say upper middle class. Taylor also does not believe in banks. He doesn't want to be followed. So he, all of his money, he prints in cash and buries in Folgers cans in his backyard. No, big, gold, big man. That. No, not even <laughs> so, cash. He doesn't I'm believe in fiat, fiat currency. <laughs> nope, it's, no, I got species. I can't tell you how much money I'm worth, but I can tell you how many pounds I have of gold buried in my yard. So. <laughs> Thank you, Nick Offerman. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's a Ron Swanson joke. I still. No, I, 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 I'm not that. I'm not that contrarian, man. Honestly, it was just social media. I was like, why do I need to? Why do I need to see something about a guy I went to high school talking about his cousin getting married? What the fuck is this doing for me? I haven't talked to this guy in five years. Why? Why do I need this? So, not that I would. Not that 2010. I was five years out of high school. I'm not that old, but just, just that idea of like mostly this is stuff that I don't really need to be seeing that's not doing anything positive for me. So fair enough. So I guess with that, I think there's been some conversations of like the family dynamic and, and some stuff there. I guess like I can kick us off there because I feel pretty strongly about this as well. And it's really funny because I think Hank and I fall in very different camps. Uh so when I watch this movie, I also, you know, talk to people in my in my COVID bubble, uh my girlfriend, my girlfriend's sister. And her her boyfriend who had watched this as well the same night that we did and we were talking about it afterwards and i coming out of this movie just did not think the dad had a leg to stand on in his argument right i completely sided with the main character because she's just like living in her own world she wants to make her movies and she tries to show her dad and he's dismissive and he's in his own world he wants to hang a moose on the wall or a duck or whatever it is she's not really attuned to her as a teenager which is fair enough he's living his own life but it just seems that she is not this kind of person who has this pipe dream of it right she she made something of it she's going to as the movie presents it a decent college to do film and it seems like she she may or may not have a promising career in, in movies and it seems like something that you would want to take interest in as a parent and there's a scene in the movie in the, in the end of the first act where the dad is washing dishes and he says why is she like this and it's like why is she like what she wants to show you the movies that she's worked hard on and connect with you on that you were the one who is resisting this and decides to remedy it by canceling her plane ticket to Los Angeles and trying to do your own kind of harebrained scheme to bring the family back together. And, you know, later in the third act, when you have the Eric Andre character watching her videos and, and showing the dad how they're actually really funny, I think it, it kind of comes full circle and it's it's enough for it, for, to me personally, to pay off. But, man, in the first and second act, I was like, the dad is just really really not doing it for me and i think that the main character doesn't really have anything that she's doing particularly wrong other than trying to connect with the family and i guess how do you guys feel about that yeah Taylor, I, I, I feel, you, you want to go first yeah yeah I feel, I feel the exact same way i thought the dad was being not a great parent he this girl apparently she was making incredible films for what she's doing with just you know at home by herself with her dog right she's doing green screen she's doing all kinds of crazy stuff I was like any, and she said that, you know, and she says the big reveal that I got into the film school. It's like, yeah, I bet, I bet you did with all that shit you sent them of your work. Right. So like super cool girl, you know, really, really passionate and really talented at what she's doing. And the dad just didn't care at all. Took absolutely zero interest in anything she did. But at the same time, 
she's the main character and the only real conflict we get with her is that she doesn't like her dad and she wants to go to film school and that gets postponed a week right so it's like i she's a cool 17 18 year old girl but it's pretty hard to base a movie around her i think the only characters i actually liked were the mother and the son the son i thought was hilarious <laughs> and the mother was she was the only one for me that those meme jokes worked. So like at the end, you know, when they start hurting her babies and uh, hurting her kids and she fucking loses it and starts becoming a bringer of death on these robots. Yeah, she I goes was, like I, full Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I was laughing, crying the whole time about that. That was the one time when that the characters like doing these superhero type things that had no con 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 <laughs> had no congruity with everything else we've learned about this world in terms of physics and reality and stuff. That was the only time it worked for me. Every other time, I was like, okay, that's what I, we had to do to move the plot forward. Everything else, every, the dad and the daughter, though, I just, I just couldn't get into them as characters. I just didn't really care that much. Yeah, I, uh, I felt some of that. Um, the daughter especially, which... I feel terrible saying, like, after kind of, like, a little bit of, like, heartfelt, like, yeah, she's just doing her thing. I'm like, yeah, she's just doing her thing. I always support someone do just doing their thing. But, like, if your main problem in life is, like, you're a week out from getting to a place where apparently everyone just totally gets you, <laughs> I am not interested in your main problem in life. And that's how they introduced it to me. Yeah. She was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go there. I'm already talking to these people. They all totally get me. You know, like we've, we've been video chatting, like they're doing things that I totally get. And I'm like, and your main problem in life is that you are seven days away from meeting them. Like, even if you miss like orientation week, like, like that's like kind of a bummer but like i don't make movies about things that are like kind of a bummer you know like yeah so yeah exactly, exactly i saw that and i just i couldn't connect with it at all um and then like the dad like i don't think he was a great dad you know i think like uh, like especially in the first act of the movie he's pretty dismissive of her interests i don't think that's great um but for and this isn't necessarily my case. Like I, 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 I have a good family life. I like both my parents pretty well. Um, they, they've both been very supportive of me throughout my life. But I did go through a fairly significant portion of my life where my dad was traveling a lot. He was uh, over in Europe for multiple weeks a month for a great deal of my childhood. And I'm like, I feel like in some ways that's like somewhat similar to being somewhat dismissive of your interests like he's not preventing her from doing most of these things he's just not that interested and you know my dad was traveling a lot I, I I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons player no one's parents are that interested in their Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> games it's probably you know? not good if so, they are also yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, like, I didn't really want them to be. So her being like, yeah, my parents don't, like, watch all my videos. I'm like, yeah, my parents have, like, one of my band's CDs that I'm pretty sure has never been spun in a CD player. Like, it doesn't really <laughs> bother me that much, you know? Like, I'm just glad that they let me do it. So a lot of, like, the central conflict of the movie that was based on this family dynamic just didn't land for me just because it's not anywhere I've been. I've never had a parent, like, actively shutting me down. Um, she honestly didn't really seem to have parents actively shutting her down except for like that one week which I've already established you know it's one week 
who cares mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. i don't know man i feel like it's when you're a kid when you're when you've only lived on the world for 18 years i think that's a pretty big thing right like if you attach all of your weight as this kid who's confused and as you know later the movie reveals is questioning with their sexuality i would imagine like finding your people of people that watch the same cheesy movies as you is like a pretty big thing so having that week of, of orientation is probably pretty significant to her and i feel like uh, I, I, i'm okay with it I, I i'm not trying to dismiss it entirely you know there might be someone for who this for you know this is like a totally valid conflict they're very interested in watching it but like for me it just had no weight at all i'm like the the like like obviously there's the robot apocalypse but that's like kind of memed away in terms of its intensity like you know like we know it's going to be resolved by the end so like the main conflict is her needing to spend like a week with her family away from these friends that she's never even met yet and for me that was just really hard to care about like i enjoyed the jokes that were being made in the meantime but you know like 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 when they introduced the fact that she was going to have to do this road trip i was like oh no you'll have to browse reddit in the car like yeah i and i i kind of like wanted to say to her i was like hey college is not what you think it is like she was envisioning fucking paradise on earth right and i wanted to be like you know most people you're going to meet in life are not people that know every single monkey video that you've seen and think is hilarious, <laughs> right? Like most people are not meme lords like you are, young lady. And so like the fact that you think you can't survive unless you're 100% surrounded by those people, it's just like she she did something that teenagers and young people always do, right? That they think that because it's insignificant for them, because you're right, Keegan, she's only spent 17, 18 years on, on the earth. This is a big deal for her. And Sure enough, I get why she would be upset about missing orientation. Like, I'm not trying to dismiss that, but it ain't the end of the world, which actually brings me to a question. If we're saying this is just a lot of what uh, didn't seem realistic in the, the third act of the movie was because she's this not unreliable narrator, but, you know, we're seeing an impressioned view of the world through her eyes, maybe in some ways the robot uh, apocalypse was just a metaphor for this road trip in its entirety that the road trip seemed like the end of the world for her like the robots taken over but then the, she learns oh i actually do love my family my dad actually does care about me and that's they use that to wrap the bow on the end of ending the robot apocalypse and that would kind of explain why the robot apocalypse seemed to not be a, that big of a deal if this one family can fix it <laughs> Isn't that also an interesting you, read, though, if that were the case? What do you, what do, I mean, I think like that, that kind of lines up for me. What do you guys think about that, of the robot, robot invasion just being a metaphor for her this road trip and her and her family bonding again? I personally think it's a more interesting take than the actual plot we are provided in a literal sense. Um, <laughs> because, you know, if the robot apocalypse was real she went back to college in a couple months like that didn't do anything like yeah. her life yeah. returned to completely normal <laughs> in fact better than normal for her in a couple months like she's a celebrity right it's it's that like that dream scenario right you're just daydreaming about it yeah mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. i would say like if it's all like in her mind you know that's actually more interesting to me than like in reality the world just totally recovered from it in a couple months because i'm like wow so nothing we did meant anything and she's still does exactly what she's planning on doing at the beginning of the movie with no changes 
um except maybe she facetimes her dad once a month like that's just not a that's not a compelling payoff yeah. you know yeah um yeah. But so you, you know, you, I feel it, like you got to stand up for this now because you you love this movie. It's your favorite movie we've watched. No, it did, and I, and I think you know, even in, in the reading that this is a real apocalypse where these robots are coming to life, I think it's it's very on brand for the genre, right? We have these crazy stakes that have to be surpassed by these average people. It's it's again, it's no secret that it's more about the family evolving and, and becoming closer to one another. I don't really mind it. Either reading I think is interesting. I personally probably take the more literal reading that this really happened. I don't think it detracts from it at all, right? I think any average family could fill in that spot. And, I, you know, I guess I, I was very okay with it watching and taking that very literal reading. But we're getting a little short on time. I want to put another kind of quick discussion post in there. So one thing that I was a little curious about watching the movie is as we're getting towards the very end, it's a fairly sensitive topic, it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing, but in, I think it's the first post credit scene, she calls back home to her mom and her mom says, how's everything going? Are you and Jade official yet? Is she coming home for Thanksgiving? And it's this kind of very quick, like, oh, the girl she was talking through throughout wasn't just a friend, this is a romantic interest. And she's, she's thinking kind of like, she doesn't just get me on this level of movies, but like maybe the mm-hmm. idea of her finding her people has more of a larger meaning in her kind of coming to terms with her sexual identity. And I guess I'll give my perspective quickly. Like I, from the get-go, didn't necessarily like that it was this quick thing that could be edited out, right? A lot of things we see with Disney is like, you think of the last Star Wars movie, we have two women kissing in celebration after the defeat of, of the Empire. And it's something that was mm-hmm. edited out for the Chinese showing of the movie, right? Something that is so insignificant that it doesn't affect the plot. And I was thinking, is this mm-hmm. kind of the same thing, right? If you didn't show that scene, maybe you wouldn't know that the main character is part of this LGBTQ plus community. And in reading reviews from Letterboxd, which is probably my favorite social media site, I came across this review that I want to show to you guys and and get your take on. So there was a review that said, for those of you saying this wasn't clearly gay enough, and it's a a letter, it's like a list. So Columbia logo shoots rainbows, what appears to be a parody of a Subaru, daddy issues, car lands in the Dashcon ball pit, Le Le Tigre song, Y Tu Mama Tambien parody DVD, Portrait of a Lady on Fire themed short film. Quote, my parents haven't figured me out yet. Performative femininity, cowboy boots, scarface, pride pin, voiced by, voiced by Abby Jacobson. Celine Siamin as Katie's favorite filmmaker is a teenage Varda and Fassbender fan, fan. The incredibly tacky shining carpet socks. Wants to make experimental films. Alex Leahy song number one. Katie spends the entire road trip talking to a girl. Tiny lesbian flag pin on her bag. Alex Leahy song number two. Katie has a girlfriend at the end who she's been with for a few weeks. So again, I don't think any of us, and I don't want to speak for all of us, I'm personally not a member of this community. Those are not things that I picked up on, but what are you guys' take on Katie being uh, lesbian or at least bisexual as the movie implies? Do you think it was done enough respect? Well, I'm going to chime in here as the resident bisexual host. Um, so I, I'm a, I'm a bisexual, uh, I'm, you know, moderately out, you know, most of my friends know this, my parents may or may not know this, you know, it hasn't been like an open discussion and, uh, I'm not like, 
a uh, quote-unquote stereotypical member of the gay community. I don't need everything I watch to have gay characters in it or anything. Um, in fact, uh, oftentimes I find it a little bit grating when things do include gay characters because the entirety of their identity is their sexuality. And I don't yeah. like that because, I mean, you've, it, we're 17 episodes into this, this, doc, or this uh, podcast series. You may or may not have noticed I'm bisexual. I think that's true of many queer people. You know, you're not going to notice it on contact. A lot of movies, when they portray these people, make it the first thing you notice. Yeah. Um, which I don't personally like. Um, you know, there may be people that disagree with me. It ain't for me. And so I don't really like, uh, like the, uh, I think Star Wars was the example you yeah. gave, where there's like this brief clip that's like edited out like that's so obviously like an, an example of kind of queer erasure where we're like we'll include them in a place where they're acceptable and we'll cut them out wherever they are and i'm not super into that um this movie i think did a somewhat better job of it like in, in the review you just read there are a number of like call outs and stuff that would be readable to the queer community i picked up on a couple of them i saw like the, the lesbian flag on her backpack um that said and i feel really weird saying this um because i've, I've just said that like i don't like it where it's when it's like the only aspect of their personality but that said i felt like including things that only another member of the queer community would ever recognize as like queer coding markers and then like having one scene post credits where she explicitly states she's queer is a pretty weak stance to take on it um it, it and and i'm really conflicted here because i think it could be a really strong character where just like her sexuality is not her entire personality and so she has a lot to stand on throughout the rest of the movie and then it comes up in the end but the fact that it's only ever explicitly called out in the end and they throw in all these little flags that feels like them intentionally trying to avoid that like queer erasure thing that they that disney dealt with with star wars where they're saying like we're throwing in things so you can't say that we're taking out all the signs that she's a queer character but she only says it at the end and any straight person watching is going to miss all of those things throughout the movie and so i feel like it's a very concerted effort to make it easy to erase the fact that she's a queer character while still including the fact that she's a queer character. So, like, I'm glad she's queer. I'm glad that was... Uh, I, I, like, honestly, I'm, I'm, I don't really care that she was queer, to be completely honest, as a queer person. Like, I don't really care if the characters and stuff are queer. I like that there exist queer characters, but it doesn't make a huge difference to me. So I don't really care. There are queer people that disagree with me on this. But what I don't like is that they made it so easy to overlook not so much that you could just say like well that wasn't the defining like facet of her personality but so easy to overlook that it's pretty clear that those elements were only included like to avoid them having accusations of queer erasure like leveled against them when they edit out that final credit scene you know they yeah. could point back to those other scenes you know whether you see the pin or whatever and say like no we left that in it seems disingenuous to me um 
and for that reason like i i'm like i wouldn't have minded if she was straight like i don't really care but like it seems like the most half-assed way to include a queer character to me um again i don't feel like it's overtly problematic or anything like it's not homophobic it's not like a dismissal of of queer personalities i just feel like they included the absolute like we're going to include a handful of things that queer people will recognize so they can't say they've been erased but we won't include anything that signals to a straight audience that there is a queer character here and i feel like that seems almost more insidious than just having like her only personality trait being queer yeah so anyway i'm curious to hear others opinions yeah hey no i I, first of all i i love the perspective i'm like super stoked that you i just think it's a good perspective to have on the show to to give more like air to that side um but yeah it seems like from your perspective right there's this kind of like line that it needs to straddle of like do we go too overtly and make this a movie that's purely about her queerness or do we kind of completely erase it and take this, like, as we give it the bar minimum, like, the Disney level of being able to completely erase it out of a movie with a couple quick edits? So I think as we see more of these characters come in to mainstream movies, it's it's really finding the line to straddle it. And I think I agree with you. I think they could have gone a little bit more in, in showing that throughout the movie versus just kind of these secretly coded things throughout and then a, a credit scene that could easily be missed. So I guess, Taylor, what's your perspective on this? Where did you fall? Well, so I actually did miss that credit scene, but I had noticed the lesbian slim peg, the lesbian pin flag, and the the pride um, button and stuff. So I had seen some of that, um, and I and I, you know, I I think it, Hank, I think your take feels a little cynical to me because you know it could just be that she's still figuring these things out for herself, and so. It's not a huge part of her person. I think that's like a pretty like logical way that you could explain those decisions. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if Sony releases this in China. Maybe they already have. Um, if they edit all that stuff out, and if, if they do, if they do the same thing that uh, Disney's been doing. Um, but as far as you know, the 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 character being queer. Um, you know that list you read, Keegan, and they, they gave examples of things that were queer coding, right, of the, you know, the updated um, hanky code. Uh, I, I think a lot, like when I saw those pins, I didn't immediately assume she was queer because the Gen Z generation is, is very, very concerned with sexual and gender identity. That, that They're very much concerned with these things. That's why you get statistics where at certain liberal arts colleges, 20 or 30 percent of the female undergrads are identifying as non-binary. Right? That, that seems to me a, a purely political act that's happening. Right? So I'm not at all doubting that this woman is queer, that this girl, I don't care if she is queer. I don't, I don't care either way at all. But um, I, I, I think that it's just interesting seeing this movie being targeted to this generation that has had a very different um, thought process and interaction with uh, queer queerness, basically, and seeing how they're trying to portray that. Because when in that list you were saying, when you're talking about cowboy boots and Subarus and stuff, those aren't, those aren't queer things. She wants to make experimental films, therefore she's queer. Come on, that's not, that's, experimental films and Subarus aren't just the queer thing, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think, I, I actually think they did a fine job of, of representing what a lot of kids that this girl is, is like are doing right now, whether it's not necessarily because they're queer themselves, but because they think it's an important thing to think about and associate with. 
Um, so I, I didn't I didn't mind it at all. The post credit scene, if I had seen that, it wouldn't have changed anything for me about how I viewed the character in the in the slightest. Um, so yeah, I I, I don't really, kind of I think I don't really have too much too many thoughts about it. But I don't I certainly don't think there was anything inappropriate about how they portrayed her or anything like that. Yeah, and I just want to jump in for a second. Like, I I was a little bit critical of it. I don't want to say it's, like, inappropriate or anything, but what I'm trying to say is, like, if it is an example of queer representation, I think it's kind of weak. Um, Otherwise, I think it is inoffensive, but uh, I hope for every representation of someone, like, interacting with queer people that it should be inoffensive unless it is a commentary on like what an offensive interaction would look like if you're seeing like a horror movie where someone is like actively homophobic i'm like accepting of that because that's like a horrific thing to be in but i'm like if the best thing i have to say about this is that it is inoffensive to a queer audience then i don't think it should be praised for its queer representation yeah i don't think it was a film about queerness you know what i mean like i think it it was this girl has interests and different parts of her personality and the main thing about her is that she's into film so that's what we see her in yeah Yeah, exactly if you're going to praise something it should be one of those other aspects of the characters represented yeah fair enough i i I, personally i kind of fall on the line of like i you know if we're looking at that list of things that are signals that would probably call out to the to the queer audience that would you know signal to them that this character is part of the community i picked up on very few of any of them um and i i saw these more of like eccentricities of like a young liberal arts film student and things that like i don't know even i could probably attribute to myself of like just expression of of personal identity i guess um so i guess i don't know if i need it like necessarily like spoon fed or more spelled out to me but i really didn't pick up on these things until we got to the end and it was literally said hey you're lesbian or bisexual right like you have a girlfriend so i like we're just experimenting and figuring shit out you know yeah for sure so i I, and it's i don't know i i don't know what i want like i i guess i can't say that this was good or bad because it was i guess just another plot point on my understanding of, of queer representation in film so i i'm fine with it i think you know the bar minimum is something that can be edited out. And I think this at least does a job of like showing this character. She has facets of her personality that are, you know, connected with the queer community. So I think that's, it's interesting. And I think on rewatches, I'll probably pick up on more of these things after reading that review. But, um, do you think in the star Wars, in in the star Wars scene where they had to film and they wanted, you know, two girls kissing in the background. Do you think they're talking to all the extras and they're like, okay, everybody, we're going to be hugging and kissing. We just won big victory. And we need some people to be gay. Okay. You two girls, you two, like, like, how do you think, or they had the gay extras for that scene? Because it's not an extra. It was a main character that was in the original series. And so it was, okay. 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 And so my thought, and again, I I know I probably fall into the conspiracy theory more than, than most, but I think, this was probably sold, you know, it's, it's filming in America. This is probably sold to these characters through the script as like, this is something inclusive. It's something that's going to be connecting with a lot of American audiences. And they think that this is probably going to be something larger than it is. And then it just gets completely cut out, put in the background and is not part of an indus- uh, international release personally. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes- I did. I forgot that portion. I was hoping it was just extras and that they had to designate, okay, you are the queer extras and you're the straight extra. Yeah. Cool. Well, cool. Do we I, have, so, 
any final thoughts before we, we start moving into our rankings? Yeah, I guess my final thing to say is I've had a number of points I'm critical about on this film, but I don't really feel strongly about any of them. They're all just things that kind of fell flat for me. You know, it's not like something that I hated to see. Anything I was critical about, I was just like, yeah, I don't really get it. It's not for me. I'm probably not the person they were hoping to get with this. Um, So overall... I think it was a good movie, you know, I think it was very skillfully made, I think there were a lot of really talented people involved, just like, like I said, the old soul horror fan (laughs) is not at all the target audience, and in my case at least, that did detract from, like, how much I would want to, like, watch this movie again, you know, if you asked me in, like, five years, you want to watch, you know, Mitchell versus the Machines again, I'd be like, can we watch something else? (laughs) Um, And it's not at all because it's a bad movie, it's just because, like, I think I got all I'm going to get here unless I get like a lot more ingrained in like the modern youth culture. And I just don't see that happening for me. Fair enough. Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. No, I pretty much the same. I mean, I think the the whole movie was my, like my positionality related to the movie was, was really uh, summarized by that uh, live your life song they played and that, that big final battle, right. Which is T.I. and Rihanna and that song samples uh the original you know numa numa song from ozone and i you know dragostea dente but there you go (laughs) and being one of you know the the first generation of people on the internet is that i know the original and i actually don't like the ti and rihanna version i like the original much 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 better and i think that that sort of like sums up how i related to a lot of the humor and a lot of the content of this movie was just that i ain't the audience for it just like hank who watches horror looks at this girl who's complaining about being a week late to college orientation he's like lady i just watched a guy chop his own hand off okay you don't have problems I, the movies i watch <laughs> have people with problems in them okay I, I feel like i'm sort of the same way um and so it wasn't it wasn't really a, a movie for me despite all the amazing things i think already touched on with the acting and the production and animation and all of that yeah fair enough and again i think if if we were categorizing the host i would say if, if you had like a general audience i think i'd probably fall most into that category of, of things that are like generally popular and do well with most audiences i think that would probably align most with me given that like i i adored this movie i think it has a lot of of interesting things to offer up to the animation genre i think usually family animated movies are pretty formulaic and I think they usually stay within their bounds and I think this movie does a lot right I think it grounds itself in the real world it has conversations about technology that we didn't even touch on whether they're effective or not and you know whether or not it's effective it has conversations about you know queer youth and and things that I think are really interesting um and I I probably in 10 years will be that friend over at Hank's house saying let's watch the missiles Mitchell's versus the machines again and uh, he'll shoot me down, but I'm, I'm okay with being prepared for that in 10 years. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll pass it off to you guys. Taylor, first, if you had to give this a ranking on a numerical list, what would you say? Uh, I'd give it 6 out of 10 Romanian pop song ripoff. <laughs> Fair enough. Hank? i give it like 5 out of, out of 11 Eric Andre bits. Oh my goodness, I didn't even think, because I will be honest, throughout this whole episode, you've been saying, like, I don't want to get down on it, I enjoyed this movie a lot, I thought you'd come in higher than a 5 out of 11. Yeah, you have to understand, though, my rankings are based on my enjoyment of it. <laughs> you know, like, I've already said enough good things about the film, but someone like me, it's a 5 out of 11 movie. 
It's not my partner a wanted to walk out. Yeah. We were in our living room, and she wanted. She was like, I'm kind of done watching this. Interesting. That's how I All right. Well, if I had to give this a ranking, gentlemen, I would say I would give this a 2.6 out of 2.71828, which is Euler's <laughs> number. I didn't want to do pi. It's a little too on the nose. Euler's so number. I had to go a little more mathy on that. But I, man, this is, you know, if we're doing an out of 10, this is a 9.5 for me. I adore this movie through and through. Like I said, I've watched it three times since, since uh, I watched it for original review. Actually, you know, The Man from Earth, we recorded that episode last Sunday, and I watched this right after while I was going to sleep uh, and getting ready for bed. So I thoroughly love this movie. It's right up there with some of the best Western animations for my money, um, and I will be revisiting it many times and making you guys watch it with me many times. So with that, I think this was a really interesting conversation. I'm, uh, I'm glad that we had such different opinions on it, but that takes us into next week, which will not be an A week. This will be a B week where we pass it to our resident horror fan, Hank. Hank, what are we going to be watching? What's the IMDb blurb? Yeah, so uh, I actually need to pull up the IMDb blurb, <laughs> which I, uh, I'll probably edit out. Um, but I'm nervous. Uh, drum roll. Next week, we are going to be watching A24's The Killing of a Sacred Deer starring colin farrell um so to read the uh imdb blurb <clears throat> stephen a charismatic surgeon is forced to make an unthinkable sacrifice after his life starts to fall apart when the behavior of a teenage boy he has taken under his wing turns sinister um dun, so anyway dun, dun. I don't want to say too much about this movie. It's really kind of a movie you have to see to get. So, uh, you know, if there's if there are members of our audience that don't watch our movies before watching the review, I honestly don't think you will get anything from the review if you don't see the movie first. It is incredibly idiosyncratic. It relies really heavily on the direction of all things. It's not even just the acting. The actors take really, really heavy directorial cues. Like, they're all out of their comfort zones. I've said that Colin Farrell is the star. You've probably seen him in a number of things, including rom-coms. His role in this movie is completely different from what you're used to. But it's a really good thriller. It's pretty uncomfortable to watch. It's it, it's honestly just not for the faint of heart. There are, there are uh, discomforts across the board. It's not just violence. There are, There's sexual discomfort. There's family tension. There's all sorts of stuff, but I really like it. I know it's a divisive movie, and I'm really excited to see what my co-hosts think of it. As divisive as the Mitchells versus the Machines, which everyone's been talking about. <laughs> the country is split on how to view this movie. <laughs> I would say possibly even more divisive. Um, for uh, those of you that know Yorgos Lanthimos... Uh, famous director. He's, uh, I believe, also done The Lobster as well as Beyond <laughs> Black Rainbow. Editor's note, Yorgos Lanthimos did not direct Beyond the Black Rainbow. It was directed by Panos Cosmatos. Um, people really fall on opposite ends of the spectrum with regards to his work, so I'm really excited to see what my, or my co-hosts think of this movie. Um, and you'll have to check back next week to see how we fall on it.
big spoiler alert there, but uh, we have a we have a friend of the show who is uh, this is relevant later. Why, why I'll say this, but friend of the show who we all know named Carlos, who is uh, a good friend of mine. He's Mexican, and we talk a lot about movies, and we always come down on a twenty four movies, saying that they are pretentious white people movies. And uh, he messaged me one time and he goes, did you watch The Lobster? And I said, yes, I watched it on a plane. He goes, did you like it? And I went, no, it's a pretentious white people movie. He goes, okay, then don't watch The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And I went, okay. He goes, it's the exact same. So spoiler alert, I will probably fall in the very uncomfortable group next week. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really excited. You know, I can't say whether, as a pretentious white person, you know, I can't say whether or not it is only for us. Um, but I will say that uh, there are similarities between the two films, but there are also a lot of differences. It doesn't think it's as funny as The Lobster did, okay. um, and I think that's a strength. Um, I think even if you didn't like The Lobster, you might like The Killing of a Sacred Deer because it tries to stand on different more horror-rooted legs than the lobster does, which tries to be a, like a little bit more literary, I think. Um, hmm. So anyway, still check it out if you didn't like the lobster. If you hate it, shoot me an email and I won't read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Taylor. That's anything else before we wrap this, this up? Week, no, I'm good, man. I'm gonna, I got to get back out to the beach. All right, folks. Well, thanks for joining this episode. Again, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you can email us at rotatingreels at gmail.com. We will read it on air and we will answer whatever you send us. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. and We appreciate you listening.